Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack, it's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Adam Holland. How you doing? Uh, doing well. Glad to have sports back and uh, glad to throw my uh, ever-present opinion into them. Uh, yeah, you've been uh, uh, writing some uh, opinion articles for the site. The the first one that you wrote before the football season started was about uh, Tosh Lapoy, a figure of controversy in the Pac-12 for many years. Um, uh, I remember when he was sort of a persona non grata in Eugene, don't you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Lapoy is, um, you know, kind of an interesting figure and the way that his, uh, his defense performed in 2022, it's not like you can really sit there and say like, oh, they completely un- underperformed. They were porous. They were awful because they weren't on the whole. Uh, I think what concerned me the most, and I mentioned it in the article was that uh, in the two rivalry games, you really kind of saw some big slip-ups, just considering that, like, you knew exactly what was coming. You knew the kind of offensive attack that you were going to get, but then you still were kind of, like, subject to it. Um, Against Washington, it's, you know, maybe a little less concerning just because Penix is such a a brilliant quarterback and everything, and, you know, it's it's, every now and then it's going to happen where, you you know, quarterback that catches fire and everything. Um, I was more concerned with like Oregon State because if you look at the construct construct of the rosters, I mean Oregon has better athletes. Oregon, you know, has uh, you know more talent on the field. And if you know that Oregon State is just going to kind of like hand the ball off, they're going to load the box, they're going to try to overpower you, bring some extra help. You know, just like load the inside because you know the quarterback's not going to beat you. Um, and so. That was, I, th- I think, the Oregon State game was primarily the biggest concern for me. Although I did mention that I had to give credit where it was due because the week before against Utah, uh, the defense was was absolutely you know amazing. It, it basically shut down Cam Rising, and you know everybody talks and you know, myself included about kind of Bo Nix hopping around on one foot, being able to win that game for Oregon. But really, it was the defense that won that game for Oregon, and so. That's why it kind of like doesn't make as much sense. Um, and it, because you, you, you see such a brilliant performance like that. And then the next, the very next week, you, you literally just see a, a complete collapse against a team that you're, you're more talented than and you should beat. And so that's, that's kind of where the concern came in for me. It, it, you know, you're totally right, Adam, that it's like, it's not anybody who wants to just say, aha, I've got this cracked. It's this one thing or like, I totally know what the answer is. Just like, I think you're lying because it, you know, first of, first of all, like it wasn't one thing, right? Like he did have excellent defensive performances against offenses like several top 25 offenses utah was one of them Uh, arizona was one of them ucla was one of them byu was one of them like all of those teams finished in f plus top 25 and oregon had excellent defensive performances and like creative defensive performances against arizona you know they played a 33 stack defense with three cornerbacks on the field 
you know, like it wasn't just like they out talented them and like Tosh Lapoy didn't have to show up, you know, like, I, I, you know, or that Utah, you know, I, I've been writing for years about like how it makes me pull my hair out whenever I have to do film study on Andy Ludwig at Utah, because it's like his offense is so predictable that. I don't understand how every DC in the Pac-12 doesn't shut him down. And then, you know, and so it's like doing the film study on all those other DCs, you know, uh, I'm just like, what do you, how are you getting a paycheck? And then, you know, Tosh Lapoy plays him and Tosh Lapoy shuts him down. I'm like, okay, you should get a paycheck, Tosh, you know, <laughs> uh, right. And, and like, you know, or think about all the, 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 play caller the dcs who struggled with chip kelly not tosh lapoy you know yeah. he did a very good job of containing a uh, uh, limiting that dude to field goals hell he did a very you know he limited uh uh you know washington to field goals i mean yeah they were unstoppable within the 20s but like got them to kick field goals you know mm-hmm. um you know there are some explosive plays and but then you know but that's the flip side of the coin is that like the 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 like where was the 33 stack defense with three cornerbacks on the field that you know uh that they fielded against Arizona you know like Washington is just a you know Washington is just a somewhat slightly different version of Arizona's offense and it's like mm-hmm. I don't understand why the same creativity in pass defense against Arizona's defense or Arizona's offense, they didn't show against Washington. Now, look, schematically, I understand they're different. You don't got to tell me that for anybody like scheme nerds who are listening to this, who are like, hold up, they, they are different offenses schematically. Look, I know, man, like I, not like, I didn't do the film study on them. <laughs> but like, you know, uh, uh, what is 100% the case is that Oregon was playing just, you know, sort of their, you know, their standard, you know, defense, and they were conceding the middle of the field and then just deciding to, to, to you know, um, you know, just for, you know, bow up in the red zone and force them to kick field goals, which I do think is actually a viable strategy and would have won them the game if it wasn't for Knicks getting hurt. But it's like it would have won them the game you know, like, uh, uh, you know, you know, 44 to 36, you know, it, it wouldn't have, you know, why concede the middle of the field if you don't have to, I think they had the ability to do that. And I know because they shut down Arizona, you know, but, but, you know, so it's like, well, you know, or, or the other like excuse that people make for Oregon's defensive performance last year. And I don't think it's like, a a non-valid excuse which is that like hey it was the first year in the system and they didn't have the personnel you know they need to mintify this scheme and like and and well well what does that mean exactly well the the linebackers were all you know were the wrong body types they were all run pluggers instead of pass stoppers okay so what the hell happened against oregon state you know if your entire defense was configured to be you know a tim deruder style you know stop the run defense then why didn't they stop the run you know like you know like i'll i'll buy that for for why they you know might have struggled against washington then but like but then they totally should have shut down oregon state's run game and instead they Mm -hmm. just like completely took a nap you know at the end of that game like i'm still baffled about why that happened like i still have no it, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean part of the reason I mean part of the reason is special teams disasters like I mean it was four consecutive special teams disasters yeah. but like it's still the case that Oregon State had I think you know effectively 17 successful runs in a row mm-hmm. um 
and in which Oregon did not like effectively successfully, you know, stop any of those runs. And it's, and it's not like that, you know, it's not like they were really tired and it's not like they had inferior athletes. No. And it's not like they had a hard time stopping the, you know, it's not like, you know, in in the first like three quarters of the game, they were doing a pretty okay job of stopping the run. Like if if it were the case that like Oregon State had a superior run scheme that Oregon just couldn't stop them at, then like what was the explanation for the first part of the game in which their run numbers, run defense numbers were pretty good. It's just like they really just like went to sleep at the end of the game. And like, look, man, like I don't really understand you know, cause they won't tell me who's truly in control of the Oregon defense. Cause like Dan Lanning, you know, you know, was mm-hmm. the defensive coordinator at Georgia, you know, and like Matt Powledge was the co-DC. So like, maybe this is, un- you know, unfair to lay at Tosh LaVoy's feet a hundred percent, but like, look, dude, he's the one who's on the field wearing the headset and clapping in, in guys' faces. Like if anybody's job is to motivate the players and get them not to give up 17 consecutive successful runs, you know, it, it ought to be Tosh LaVoy. And like, he he didn't do that so like yeah like that's a hundred percent fair to lay at his feet like what the hell man um yeah it, so it, like a performance like that just it, it can't happen with a team as talented as oregon with the athletes that you have with like the playoff with like the the conference championship game in the playoff championship, on the line Rose Bowl, all that kind of stuff on the line yeah, it's just it's, like it's not you know that's just not not acceptable so, you know, so, so for anybody saying like, you know, I, I think I've got this guy totally figured out. Like, I don't think you do because there's too many different like data points. And for anybody who's saying like, oh, he just 100 percent sucks at his job in every game, week in, week out, and he never does anything good. That's not true. And for no. anybody, but it's also not true. Like, oh, he didn't have the players to stop the run. No, there's a bunch of data points that contradict that. Of course, of course or that did. like he didn't yeah. have control of that aspect. No, there's a bunch of data points that contradict that. It's just like there's no there's no easy answer yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's but like this day, so it's just like yeah. yeah, it's um no, it's something that needs to be addressed for sure. And so, but like that of, was your order, you know, like that was yeah, that, you were, like, like look, man, like, like this is something that needs to be addressed, and it's something I need to get off my chest because I've been holding it in since November of last year. Well, so. since you wrote that article, Oregon has given up seven points. So, like, good yeah. work, Adam. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. <laughs> we're back, baby. Yeah, uh, you did it. Uh, You know, uh, Portland State, I think, had uh, uh, like 14 possessions and scored on one of them. They had, uh, I think, uh, like 52 total passing yards. So, uh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, you you accomplished your mission, Adam. Good work. Whoop. Give me my paycheck, man. Yeah. All right. um, Let's take a break. Uh, When we come back, uh, we'll talk about uh, the next uh, pot that Adam stirred. Okay, uh, so uh, the uh, the next like controversy that you decided to step into was uh, Oregon's next most favorite dude uh, wearing green and yellow, which is Ty Thompson. Um, uh, what do you think about that dude, Ty? <laughs> Adam? Um, I almost called you Tosh Lapoy. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, maybe I am at this point. Um, yeah, I'm 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 still just concerned because I I just. I just haven't seen enough. And it's something I've been complaining about for a couple of years now. Um, it just, it, it Nick's, you know, the Nick's experiment worked out brilliantly. 
It, 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 you know, I mean, when he came here, I was pretty excited. I was pretty pumped about it. I, I, I was kind of like, you know, writing articles about it, how like, oh, yeah, this is what we need. And, you know, he'll fit really well and everything. A lot of people weren't completely on the same page as me. They were kind of like, oh, what are they doing? Bo Nix. Oh, man, like we're supposed to be you know, getting it. But it, it, it's worked out so well. And, man, you know, Nick's saved our butts by coming back for another year, especially considering all the all the quarterback talent that the uh, soon-to-be-deceased Pac-12 has. Um, but you just look beyond that, and you look at the recruiting that Lanning and company have been able to do, and you're like, oh, man, yeah, they're, they're more than keeping up with what Cristobal's crew was able to do. You know, they're, they're pulling in some you know, serious blue chippers. But the problem is, it's like, man, you know, it's, especially on the West Coast, quarterback makes the team go. And so you you got to think to yourself, like, all right, with Nick's gone, you know, wh- wh- what do we have? What what can we really look at? Who's going to get the ball to these skill guys? Who's going to make those decisions? Who's going to, you know, come up big in the crunch? And, man, it's just still, it's like, it's just so tough to tell what you're really going to get out of Thompson. And so that's kind of like what I was pointing out in my article. I was like, yeah, he played really well. You know what I mean? Completed almost all his passes, threw for a touchdown pass. Everything looked great. Yeah, it was against Portland State. And not only Portland State, but probably like a second unit of Portland State. So it's like... No, I mean, it was their ones, but... Well, I mean, okay. Still. But like, yeah. (laughs) Like I noted several times in the article, I was like, still, it was Portland State. Um, I, I just haven't seen kind of like... Because, you know, like, you know, back when we had, um, you know, guys like Masoli and, and, and Mariota and stuff, you would kind of see every now and then you'd see like a backup quarterback kind of maybe like get his chance due to like a, you know, a rolled ankle or maybe like a you know game that they missed or something. And you'd be like, ah, OK, see, we, we, we got our guy in the wings. Like, it's OK. You know, I feel comfortable with this. I just I, I just haven't seen that. And, you know, what I mean, we have we have Novosad on board. Luckily, you know, he came in. Uh, signed, you know, got enrolled early and everything and kind of got, you know, the field. And he even got on the field, you know, so it's it's great, but it's just like, man, what are we really looking at uh, beyond this season? What are we really looking at, particularly as we go into the Big Ten? Like, you know, if we're going to c- compete in, in that conference, man, we got to have somebody, you know, stable under center. Because you look at, you know, the, the kind of talent that they're going to have, and it's it's just imperative. So, this is not, this was not an article tearing Ty Thompson to shreds. So, you know, I'm not about that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to just like fault the kid on everything when I just haven't seen enough to know what he's really about. And so like, that's the primary concern right there. Like when can we actually feel comfortable about, you know, what quarterback we're going to have stepping in after Nick's is gone. The thing about Thompson that just like, so you know, this, this off season, you know, I, I, I put the, the tape back on cause I, I don't usually watch much garbage time. You know, I, I, I save garbage time for the off season. Uh, so I was like, I, I'm going to watch all of Ty Thompson's tape. And like, I, I was done in an afternoon, you know, like yeah. between spring games and all the time that he had played. And like, you know, I watched all of it. I, I did a thorough job and like, I hadn't even finished the beer, you know, like the, the thing it was like that they, they just, 
the, the and I mean, across both staffs, you know, like the, they were just not playing him that much. And like, look, you can read into that if you want, you know, that like, oh, staffs didn't trust him. Um, on the other hand, you know, like they, it's not like, you know, they had, they had Bo Nix, you know, like I understand it. But like the thing the thing that was crazy and like, you know, in my Oregon preview, you know, I wrote this is just like. The thing that was nuts was that they were never really given him like the full offense to run, you know, like a, like just mm-hmm. the normal playbook. It was like gimmicky stuff. Like every time it was like weird screen passes or quasi trick plays and stuff. And like the thing that was kind of a relief about the Portland State game. And yes, you're right. It was Portland State. But it was like the drive that they put, you know, the, the drives that they put him into play. It was like. Oh, look, it's the normal offense or like what I expect to be like the normal offense under Will Stein. You know, it was just like just operate the, you know, here are some RPO reads and here are some runs and here are some, you know, passes. And it's not like gimmicky stuff. You know, it's it's like, hey, stand in the pocket and try to find somebody to throw to or like here's a quarterback draw, you know, like and it was like and, and like here's the thing about Thompson is just like you don't you never had as as like my little film study mini project demonstrated it's like you never had the film to just straight up say like when i'm doing like real film study projects like what i'm looking for is to do like a real like scientific experiment where it's you know i can like control the variables you know or like i have a big sample size and i can say you know okay you you know ran this play 40 times and that was enough times that I can control out, you know, these sort of like weird circumstances. And, you know, in the 30 times that remained, you ran it against this poor defense, this, you know, 10 times and this okay defense, this, these 10 times and this great defense, these 10 times. And these are how you performed, you know, this, this, and this, and this is how it averaged out. And like, ah, okay, I can control the, or like you ran to the outside these times and the inside these times. And, you know, this is how your numbers compare. And it's like, I couldn't do any of that for for Ty Thompson, you know, I couldn't do anything close to, to any of that, you know, for Thompson. And so what you were just sort of left with was like, man, Ty Thompson gives me bad vibes and like, oh man, I hate that stuff. You know, like, like, you know, I I hate writing that stuff. I hate confronting fans who are like, yeah, but Ty Thompson gives me bad vibes. Yeah. Like, cause like, how do you, that's like a non-falsifiable. No, no, no. You know, like here's the, here's the thing too. I mean, anybody that's been on ATQ long enough knows that in 2017, I completely decimated Braxton Burmeister and all my yeah. articles and everything and everything. Well, you but could see it with Braxton Burmeister. You could see the noodle alarm. You, you could see could balls see like it. falling you into could, the you dirt, could, you know? You could be, you could see this kid on the field for half the season as the starter, unable to complete yeah. vertical passes. And it's like, okay. I have a reason to rip into him now. He's like playing at the University of Oregon as a starting quarterback, and he can't throw the ball down the field. The, it's, you hit the nail on the head. With Thompson, you don't have half a season as the starting quarterback yeah. to like, so, look at. All it was was like Ty Thompson gives me bad vibes. But like, look, man, even me, even like the scientist, you know, the, you know, back off, man, I'm a scientist. Even me, I'm just like, Ty Thompson gives me bad vibes. Um 
So then when you went in at Portland State, like I'll tell you the thing more than anything else, like it wasn't the like, ooh, finally I have oodles and oodles of tape to look at because I still really don't um, or like mm-hmm. high quality tape because I still don't really have that, too. You're right. It was Portland State. You know what I liked more than anything else was just the cloud lifting. It's just like, well, I don't have bad vibes, you know, great, you know? Yeah. So. And I don't have bad vibes about Austin Novus ad either. You know, like I'm glad that that's sort of like that's that's gone. And I feel like I can just sort of like look at him with fresh eyes, you know? No, oh, yeah. And so, I mean, I don't want people to take, you know, the, the, the title of my article out of context. I wasn't saying like, no, in the sense that like, no, they're like, terrible. hooray, be, like, yeah, you know, like be worried. I'm just saying we still can't be like, all right, Thompson got in and, and did and completed a lot of great passes under a normal offense against Portland State. We're set to go. Next year will be a breeze. No worries. No nicks. No problem. Like I'm just saying. No, no, no. We. I mean, well, just. I mean, still. Just, I mean, it's the case in modern college football with the existence of the transfer portal that like no one is allowed to have a high quality backup quarterback because you know, you're maybe allowed to have a good developmental quarterback, but as soon as the developmental quarterback is really ready to play, Mm -hmm. if you're not playing him, he's going to hit the portal and find a different place where they will play him. Um, and, and, and like in, in kind of a, a perverse way, like a guy, please, please don't anyone think I'm suggesting like a conspiracy theory, like perversely, the best thing you can hope for is kind of a Ty Thompson kind of situation where he may actually be really good, but the film that we ha- he's put out is so bad that no one would take him. And so yeah. he won't hit the portal, but mm-hmm. actually if something goes wrong, he's, he actually turns out to be just fine. Like his film may be a poison pill that keeps him from transferring out. Um, and yeah. it's like, Oh shoot. Maybe in the era of the transfer portal, like maybe that's why Kenny, that's the, tr- the conspiracy theory that I am not suggesting. Seriously. I am about to joke right now. Maybe that's why Kenny Dillingham only gave him gadget trick plays that didn't work was to poison pill him to keep him from transferring <laughs> out. Ha 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 ha. I am joking. That didn't happen. Um, <laughs> Uh, but like, for example, like the, the other, you know, quarterback rooms around the pack 12, like the, the best you can hope for are, you know, in all seriousness are rooms like Washington's where they have Dylan Morris, um, Mm -hmm. behind, you know, Michael Penix where like, is, is Dylan, if something goes wrong with, with Michael Penix, which, you know, I sincerely hope you know, even though he's a Husky, I sincerely hope not. God, especially not that guy who had such a horrible injury history in his career. He he really deserves, you know, all the health yeah. in the world. I mean, everyone does. There isn't a you single find person. yourself rooting for him despite the colors he's wearing. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's not a single person on earth who deserves an injury, but like really, really, he does not deserve to be hurt. Um, but anyway, like you know, if something goes wrong with Michael Penix, like Dylan Morris is a, a an okay backup and that's the best you can hope for, but he's not leading them to the playoffs. Like that's no. not happening. Like, but that's the best you can do in the era of the portal. Um, mm-hmm. Like just, that's just like the situation that everybody is in. And so to say, I mean, really, you know, when you title, you know, your, your, 
your article, can you relax about your backup quarterbacks? I mean, really, of course, the answer is no, because the answer to that question in 131 out of 131 FBS schools, the answer is no. No one is allowed to have their their starting quarterback go down, except for maybe schools that have terrible starting quarterbacks who are all hoping that the backup is better and their their coaches are being stupid and they're like, gosh, I hope that the you know my starter gets hit by a bus so that they you know the the backup you know gets to play, which is like what a perverse thing to think. Um, yeah, like yeah, I mean no no one's allowed to have a good backup. That's what the transfer portal means. Um, you know, and unless yeah. like nil money um, gets you know so bonkers that the even the backup quarterback is being paid you know uh, screw you money so that he stays put, um, <laughs> you know, or we actually professionalize college football so that there are contracts and stuff uh, so that that doesn't happen. Which you know may, maybe it's time to do that. Uh, I don't know, man. Probably a topic yeah. for different. I mean, podcasts yeah, you got you got a point there. The transfer portal has really killed the idea of having like a deep quarterback room because like it's the one sometimes in the past it, it's the one position that is neither really developmental the way that say offensive line is offensive lines are truly developmental in that you really don't want to be playing your true freshman you really do need to sit those guys for a, a couple of years and, and, and while they get ready to play so like what's the point of constantly transferring um and then on the other side uh, of the equation, if you're actually a talented dude or the other side of the spectrum, I mean, like if you're actually a talented dude, you need to be playing within a year or so of getting to that school. And if you don't, you need to transfer to a less prestigious program that will find a place for you because um, mm-hmm. your your talent is not actually what we thought it was, you know, coming out of <laughs> high school. Like, yeah. you know, and, and that's what the, you know, transfer portal liberalization has been good in that sense. Um or has been irrelevant in the case of the offensive line, in my opinion, um, because yeah. it's a truly developmental position. But the for the quarterback room, I mean, for most schools, it's been a godsend. I mean, look at the Pac-12, where I think like 10 of the starting quarterbacks are transfers for the starting position. But in terms of developing backups, like it's basically impossible. Um, and, and, and but I mean, I guess maybe what it means is like you should just think of your the transfer portal is your backup. Maybe, you know, like, yeah, I guess so. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I would sort of kind of hate that because it means like you never really get comfortable with a guy like, no, I mean, you don't really have a chance to develop somebody. But. Well, you what you do is you hope that other schools are good to, at developing and that you're yeah. good at uh, like whipping out the paycheck, like, um, yeah. which like, I don't love that. Um, or I don't love that. I I do love the idea of of players being paid what they're owed. Um, but that's, no, I mean, you're right. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be somebody from some bigger school. That's a little disgruntled being like, ah, I should be the starter. That'll probably be more than happy to come to Eugene. But it's just like, I I really would like to like to get a chance to see Thompson actually just, just to see, you know, just to know for sure. Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I would like resolution to that question if for no other reason than curiosity. I mean, I've been curious about that guy for what is this, three years now. Like, on the other hand, yeah. like, sure. I mean, there's a, probably a bunch of disgruntled quarterbacks. High, highest rated quarterback recruit in program history. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, on the other hand, yeah. yeah, there's a bunch of like quarterbacks that Oregon would have li- liked to get uh, the uh, the first bite of uh, in the recruiting process, didn't get, went somewhere else, and maybe aren't happy where they're at. Um, and, and Oregon winds up getting, uh, you know, the second bite at hell. I can think of at least one in Los Angeles right now. Yeah, uh, exactly. that might end up <laughs> being the case. Um, all right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back. Uh, we'll talk about Texas Tech. So uh, this morning, we were recording on uh, 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 Friday about lunchtime. Uh, uh, I published my uh, long-awaited, at least in some quarters, uh, uh, film study preview of uh, Texas Tech University. I had uh, done my film study of their 2022 season um, uh, during the summer. Actually, somewhat unbeknownst to me, or I guess I knew it in the back of my head, uh, I I have uh, done two years worth of film study on their offensive coordinator, Zach Kitley, because I watched their, he was the coordinator at Western Kentucky in 2021. And uh, I watched all of that film um, because Carlos Lachlan, Oregon's running back coach, was there and no. Whittington, the running back, um, w- they, they were there in 2021. So I, you know, already had that. So I've literally watched every snap um, uh, of uh, that he has been the offensive coordinator for at the FBS level. Um, so I'm pretty familiar with that, which like a bunch of Texas Tech fans, when I published my article, were just like, oh my God, you, you went and did that deliberately? And I was like, well, not deliberately but yes um so anyway uh it was you know and then i went and watched their you know wyoming game of course which stole my thunder a bit because like i wasn't super impressed with texas tech even though like lots of folks over the offseason were like pronouncing them like dark horse playoff candidates and i was like oh no man (laughs) well so much for that idea I mean, over the years, I have written a lot of article, like preview articles, like like Utah in 2019 um, when Oregon played him in the conference championship game, and like USC in 2020 in the conference championship game, and like Ohio State in 2021, um, and like uh, BYU in 2022 when they were like riding high going into playing the Oregon game, um, like you know undefeated going into those games, um, and uh, or like Utah technically wasn't they dropped some uh, uh, non-con games um but uh uh and i was like i've watched all this team's film i i think that they're beatable in this way in this way in this way and you know got a lot of pushback like you're smoking crack dude and i'm like mm, am i you know and uh and then oregon wins and i get to be like hmm. uh and so this so then wyoming kind of stole my thunder i was like yeah <laughs> thanks a lot wyoming yeah, I know. On the other hand, they made um, they made selecting the film clips really easy because because like what I was what I what I thought I would have to do. Well, what I sort of thought might happen was that Texas Tech would would win in like maybe a 10 point game. Like it wouldn't be comfortable, but they'd win. And then like I wouldn't have really good film to sort of illustrate some of the the issues with Texas Tech. So I'd have to go back and pull up the 2022 film and be like, well, here are the issues that I noticed in their 2022 film, which I suspect persist into 2023. And then people would be like, no, no, we fixed all those problems. Don't you understand? Um, but, you know, they can't say that now because they do persist and they were all over the 2023 film against Wyoming. And so it was just like, look, a hundred percent of my clips were from the Wyoming game. Like I didn't have to go stretching for any of that, but it was really, 
it was really interesting that like oh my god this team was just like total the the team that showed up against wyoming in laramie uh last saturday i mean carbon copy it was totally the same team i mean like they didn't change a thing like yeah. which like i was i was sort of expecting them to good or bad i was expecting to see changes like that's what i was expecting to spend my week doing was identifying like going through and being like okay this change and this change and like okay they they kept this but they moved that and like nope same team carbon copy yeah. Exactly. The All same. the same patterns obtained. Well, with one or two differences, like they lost a running back. And then I was able to illustrate, like, here's what they lost when they lost that running back. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, other than, uh, or like they had to shuffle around some of the linebackers. Here's what they lost when they shuffled around those linebackers. Um, or like they added a particular like cornerback, interestingly, from Fresno State, who like I previewed when Oregon played Fresno State. So it was like, hey, look, here's this film from that game, you know, like any. So anyway, yeah. it's like, yeah, the interconnections in the West. Anyway, the uh, uh, yeah, it was just minor or relatively minor stuff. But like, boy, it was really surprising to me how much this team was like. They, you know, the like I like to say that film study is no joke. That this process really t- t- teaches you like very deep insights into a team that go way beyond the superficial stuff that you get from most quote unquote professional journalists that you see covering college football. But like even still, you expect there to be off season changes that like you know really put me through my paces in the week leading up to the game. Um, this was a breeze to write. This was pro- probably the easiest, like, or I don't mean like easy, like Oregon's going to have an easy, easy time with it. Texas Tech. I don't mean it that way. I mean, me personally, as in the, my writing process, this was a very easy article to write because like I had all, all of this was like laid out already in my head. And then the team that showed up in Laramie was like exactly 2022's team. They didn't change anything. Yeah. For for good or bad, you know, I, I should stress that too. Like they didn't make any bad changes either, you know, to their credit, like things that were working for them, they kept all the stuff that was working for them. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't sound like, doesn't sound like you had a whole lot of, uh, deep diving to do on that one. More well, I mean, like it was a deep dive. Splash. Just like I, the deep dive was done on like August 1st when I finished watching all their film. And then I was yeah. like, you know, and then I stopped and did other things. I watched, you know, all the Hawaii film and I'm Portland state and I, and I finished up my, I did other projects. Uh, and then I was like, you know, cause it was like, well, there's no point until like fall camp for Texas tech when I'll catch up on some news and then they've they'll play Wyoming and I'll catch up on some news and, and so forth, you know, but it was like, but no, it turned out I was all done on August 1st, you know? (laughs) So given, given what you've seen, uh, how would you, how would you suspect this to play out? What do you think are some like areas (sighs) that Oregon needs to attack? Well, it's tough. Um, it's always tough making predictions because they're inner inner intervening actors that I do not control. Like, hey, Tasha Poi could be a dum dum, you know, or et cetera. Like Will Stein could be a dum dum. Um uh there are a bunch of you know factors in which I think like Zach Kitley, the their offensive coordinator, uh, I think is um play calling uh inappropriately. Uh like he's calling plays to the sidelines way too much and calling plays to the middle of the field way too little hey he could read my article and decide to flip that around and like and and suddenly have an unstoppable offense and so (laughs) it's like i hate making predictions when you know because it's like um um 
because you know because stuff they, 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 they could always change stuff like that um but yeah what i just said like kitley and boy that's really crazy too because like i said i watched his western kentucky film where when they in western kentucky in 2021 had the number six offense in f plus number six the same the same ranking that oregon had in 2022 yeah it was really good and what i really liked about it was that it really felt like Kitley was being good at analytics, like really good at self-scouting in, in that, like it felt like he was leaning into plays that were working and he was like over the course of the year, he was cutting out plays that weren't working. And I was like, ah, this is what's nice about watching young coordinators who sort of get it is that sort of like, unlike the old crusty coordinators who are like, well, I only know how to do one thing, you know, like they sort of like, they're willing to self scout and they're willing to, to correct. And they're willing to look at computer models. Um, and I just sort of inferred that Kitley was, doing that and but then it was so weird when i flipped on the texas tech tape it was like over and over and over again i was seeing him call like a certain set of plays here i'll just tell you what they are um he's calling off tackle power uh flanker screens sideline go routes out patterns um basically anything to the sideline in the the passing game and then off tackle power running um you know gap schemes um that in the run game, it's just his offensive line can't execute him. Just like they just can't. I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. If your moms are listening, I'm I'm sorry, mom. Um, like they just they they don't have the ponies to execute. It's it's difficult, but they just can't do it. Um, and it's like they need to be running an easier um run scheme. Um, and but Kitley just refuses to recognize it. And he and again, like I said, you know the patterns all continued through the Wyoming game. That one did. Um, and, and same thing, you know, sideline, like the, the, their, their receivers cannot create separation uh, against cornerbacks running the sideline go. They can't create separation on the outbreaking routes. Um, they can't, uh, they, they do not block well on the flanker screens. Um, it just doesn't happen for them. Uh, oh, and they're super predictable. Like when they get into that double stack formation, like, you know, it's a flanker screen, like defenses know it, like, you know, and they create, you know, numbers advantages and they blow them up. Like they're, they're terror. They have a terrible success rate so all those plays that i just mentioned like they add up for a terrible success rate like like it's about they average about like 5.6 yards per pass attempt against those plays that i those pass plays that i mentioned um you know in between incompletions and just like unsatisfactory uh uh, you know they they complete the ball but uh, unsatisfactory yardage like 5.6 yards per attempt which is just pathetic you might as well not have run the play um yeah and, and terrible success rate. And yet it, they constituted 24.1% of all play calls, which is just like, that's no good, Zach. Um, on the other hand, they have a series of in-breaking, uh, like, like, like routes over the middle, like RPO slants, um, uh, dig routes, you know, you know, in-breaking routes, uh, j- just a simple post route where it's like the same receivers are running them. You know, like I sort of have some beef with a couple of their receivers. Like they have a couple of tall receivers, Bradley and Fungi, who I don't think are really great at like, the, like their, their bodies look like the, the bodies of great outside receivers. But like, I don't actually really think they have great hands or great like foot speed, uh, which is sort of like a problem for them. But like when they're running the post route, they can pull it off. Or when they're running like in breaking routes, they can pull it off because you can loft the ball over the linebackers, but they're so tall. They just sort of stick their hands up and catch the ball without breaking stride which is great like so like those routes are really successful for them they like they average 
even including incompletions, like they average, you know, more than 12 yards per pass attempt on those plays. Let me repeat that. Every time they throw the ball on those, they get 12 yards, even including when when it's an incomplete, they get 12 yards of first down (laughs) every time they throw the ball on those plays. Sounds like a a winner. Right. So guess how many how frequently they call such plays? Probably not very often, I would assume. 4.5% of the 889 <laughs> meaningful snaps that I charted were the, those the, those types of plays. It's like, dude, what are you doing? You're you're calling, you know, the bad play five more than five times more often is the the way better play. Like, come on, where is your self-scouting, dude? Not now, having said that, he'll read my article and flip it upside down and kick the duck's butts. You know, like I'm so like terrified that I've written that, you know, (laughs) what am I doing? You know, um, superstition out of it. Yeah, I know, man. Um, and I mean, I I haven't even gotten to thing that I I think like most Oregon fans or many Oregon fans, I I think are are sort of interested in from a storyline perspective, which is Tyler Shuck. Yeah. Mr. Shuck. (laughs) Which is. Yeah, you know, we we recorded in a podcast with Mike Macon, um, who's uh, who's actually on the Fans First Sports Network with us uh, on you know same same network with which carries uh, this podcast. Um, and the, the the Cotton Club crew is the name of that podcast. Um, and uh, um, uh, uh, Macon was great to talk with. Um, and uh, yeah, we spent a long time talking about Kitley and we spent a long time talking about Shuck and, and, and Macon just straight up called him a basket case. And I was like, I'm hmm, that's an interesting term. You know, I spent a long time sort of defending Tyler Shuck, you know, from a lot of what I thought were like unfair attacks on him. Um, uh, but like, yeah, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't notice some like, you know, incorrect RPO reads and some sort of panicky, you know, moments at the ends of games. But well, I mean, that's 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 why in 2020 he lost, the you know, the job mm-hmm. to Brown because he was he was doing really well to start the season. And then he just started, you know, turning in these performances where you're like what 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 what's going on here but the thing you know but the thing is like he was a redshirt freshman right yeah. in the covid year right with a new mm-hmm. offensive coordinator joe moorhead who runs like a relatively demanding rpo offense right you know with like very little time to install it because of pac-12 practice restrictions so it's like i was willing to give him like and on top of that if you look at his actual numbers like he was the he had one of the best debut seasons for an Oregon quarterback in Oregon quarterback history. Like, oh, yeah. No, he was doing very, very well for yeah. a while there. Yeah. It's just like your expectations for what Oregon quarterbacks ought to do is like late career Justin Herbert and Marcus Mariota. Yeah. No, he was following up like, a senior a senior Justin yeah. Herbert. Like it's like, oh I'm sorry he's not senior Justin Herbert or Heisman winner Marcus Mariota right now is a redshirt freshman in a new playbook in the COVID year. You know, it's just like guys, could you chill for one second? You know? Yeah. So they chase him out of town, which I, I feel like a sort of shabby treatment to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. So he lands at Texas Tech. Well what happens like the universe continues to treat him pretty shabbily. He wins the job in Texas Tech in week four of twenty twenty one. He breaks his collarbone against Texas, which like uh, I feel like Oregon fans should be pretty sympathetic to because that's what happened to Justin Herbert in twenty seventeen. Yeah. So he misses the rest of the season. My favorite quarterback ever had to step in for half the season. So (laughs) yeah. 
uh, more Braxton Burmeister slander. Uh, so anyway, uh, so then 2022, he's, he's still with, uh, Texas tech, uh, new, new coach, Matt Wells got fired at the end of 2021, new, but he stays with Texas tech with Joey McGuire comes in, uh, wins the job again in 2022. It's the opener against, uh, Tarleton state, uh, Tarleton state or no, no, it's Murray state. The, the, the racers, um, week one, they've got him in late in the game. He injures his, his shoulder. He misses eight weeks in 2022, right? Um, which yeah. sort of like throws off some of the numbers from 2022 and became a bit of a challenge. But anyway, like, and then he comes back and he plays this weird grab of opponents where it's like Kansas and Iowa State, which had like this really good defense, but like really terrible offense. And so like they kept getting good field position. And then like Oklahoma under Venables, which like didn't make a bowl. It was so bad. Um, or maybe they made a bowl. I forget. Um, but then they lost. Well, I forget. Uh, and then like Ole Miss, which like p- packed it in, like r- was rebelling. Ha 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 against Lane Kiffin. Uh, it was like it's weird grab back, but it, like he won all those games, but I was sort of still like, I don't know, this is a good team. Um, anyway, my point being that like dude has missed so much time, you know, in between like COVID and that being like a shortened season and not even getting to finish that season and only playing like three and a half games in 2021 and only playing like, I think five sorta games in 2022, like dude is still basically a rookie. Like he's yeah. a fifth year quarterback because he came in in 2019. Dude is still basically a rookie. And so anybody who like watches his tape against Wyoming, and if you want to do that, read my article. I got a ton of clips of that dude. And anybody who's just sort of like, I can't believe this fifth year quarterback is still making rookie mistakes is sort of like, dude is a rookie. Yeah. Like he's missed yeah. so much developmental time. I, yeah. I just feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm being like, too sentimental, but like no, I mean, there's, I, there's, uh, you have a you have a fair point. Like I said, as we were talking about Thompson earlier, you know, lack of playing time is lack of playing time. It's not just playing like, time; it's just like his practice time hasn't been very valuable because, like, you know, you can't practice with a broken collar. You can't throw p- balls with a broken collarbone because, like, it it's like that. That's what I don't know if anybody's ever had a collarbone break. It's one of the most painful things you can experience. Like, and you basically yeah. can't move your upper body. You know, don't, like, uh, yeah, don't, don't, don't let Justin Herbert, you know, kind of shrugging it off in 2017 fool you. That's just Justin Herbert being how tough he was. <laughs> yeah. It will. And I mean, I guarantee you that dude wasn't throwing balls and we all know what kind of, you know, developmental issues that Justin Herbert had in, in college. Like, you know, I, let's not forget, we were all kind of griping with Justin Herbert every moment that he was there. Like, why are you missing those reads, Justin? You know, like, let, let's not pretend that the Chargers version of Justin Herbert was what we got at Oregon that whole time. And I feel like it's appropriate to trace some of that to the missed developmental time, you know, during his collarbone injury. And if you're willing to make that you know extend that credit to him you, you know hey be fair do that for shock you know because he had the same sure. injury anyway uh, you know I, I think that there are uh, you know a bunch of problems with texas tech's offense you know i mean you talked about their offensive line their offensive lines god awful like I, there's there's a bunch of problems with their offense if the the, the way you know your theories about uh tosh lapoy will be tested there's there is every reason to believe that if I, I mean, I guess I'll put it this way, discounting 
the factors that cannot be controlled or predicted, like will Texas Tech's stadium be a super scary place to play? What will the climate be like? I mean, like the physical, like the weather, you know, climate, you know, psychological factors. Will the game plan be different? You know, will LePoy do something crazy? You know, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, discounting all of that and just looking at talent and scheme, talent and scheme, you know, the, the, the stuff that I actually study, you know, in film study, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Oregon's defense ought to shut down Texas Tech's offense. Yeah. I mean, not like zero not points, but like should be, you know, effective, pretty effectively limit the, their oh, yeah. ability to score. Uh, definitely, th- this under, sh- definitely under 20, maybe even single digits. Uh, I don't know about single digits, but like, uh, yeah, uh, under 20 during meaningful play, you know, who knows about mm-hmm. garbage time. Under 20 under meaningful play, you know, is a reasonable thing to expect, you know, with this matchup. Um. If they don't, if there's like a point explosion um, that isn't caused by other factors, you know, like, look, we're going to have to watch the film and, and be able to say like, oh, there was a special team snafu, you know, don't don't blame the defense for that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, come on there, you know, context matters, you know, we'll have to watch that. But like, you know, yeah, that that will actually be, you know, given what I've seen of Texas Tech. I would say that this would be a fair thing to measure Oregon's defensive performance by um, uh, if there's not sort of extraneous non-football factors that interfere. Um, uh, yeah, that, that, that's how I would put that. Sounds um, good. On the other side of the ball, um, Texas, they were really people. I, I, I feel like it's very strange how many times I've said this and people don't get it or how many times I read uh, folks assert that Texas Tech was an offense-led team, not a defense-led team last year. I think they're just sort of going based on reputation and it being the Big 12. Texas Tech was 110% a defense-led team last year. They were much, 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 much better on defense than on offense. Um, uh, um, now, uh uh, first of all, another familiar face, Tim DeRuiter, is their defensive coordinator. I like Tim DeRuiter. I liked him better than I think a, a good segment of the Oregon fan base um, when he was Oregon's defensive coordinator. I think he kind of checked out against Utah at the end of that season. Uh, maybe working for Mario Cristobal is the most fun thing in the world to do. Yeah. Um, but I've liked his entire career. I remember I went back and watched 25 years of his tape um, when he came on board. Like I watched, you know, nobody knows Tim DeRuiter better than me, frankly. Um, um, uh, you know, other than people in his immediate family, I suppose. Uh, uh, yeah, like he's a good defensive coordinator. He bumped their defensive performance um, from, I think, like the 86th rank to the 39th ranked in one season with basically the same players um, when he came on board in 2022. Yeah, he's a good defensive coordinator, dum-dums, um, for all those who are like, oh, he sucks. No, he doesn't. Um so he did, however, have some uh, good assets and seniors um, that he lost. Uh, he lost uh, a first round edge rusher. He lost both of the inside linebackers. Uh, he lost the nickelback, who's really pivotal to that defense. He lost the starting safety. Um, he lost all the rotational defensive tackles. Like the two best defensive players that he brings back are the starting defensive tackles. But he was rotating all the, the he was rotating them pretty extensively with some other 
other really good, you know, backup defensive tackles. And he lost those guys. And the, the guys that he has to replace them are sort of like freshmen and transfers from G5 schools who are, you know, I'm just going to say it, they're not as good. And so, and I think it sort of affected his game planning against Wyoming. Um, and so it's like, he's really, really, really had to reshuffle the defensive front. And then he got an injury to one of the inside linebackers, um, during the game, which sucks. It really sucks. Like I, I hate it. Um, and, uh, and so like just, uh, on balance, I, he got a, a couple of guys, some some new additions, uh, some of which are, are kind of interesting. But on balance, I think that the defense is probably worse than it was last year, or at least worse off talent wise um, than it was last year. Um, and it was a defense led team last year. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I it's it's. You know, I think the one thing that they do really, really well, still do really, really well, is they prevent you from running inside zone right up the middle because their defensive tackles are just un- immovable. Uh, uh, Hutchings and Bradford are their names. Uh, opposing offensive lines, if they want to just like engage them st- square on and push them backwards, like put them on roller skates and push them backwards, forget it. You're not going to do it. And it was bizarre watching so many Big 12 teams try to do it and fail like over and over and over again it was crazy like stop trying to do that dudes you can't and wyoming tried to do it too and i was like stop it um on the other hand they're too over aggressive and they tend to, to run themselves out of the play and so if you run literally any other type of running play like i i did the statistical comparison in my article and i'm i'm sort of blanking on it right now i guess i could pull up my article and look at it um uh literally every other type of running play had like uh, good numbers against them, like really good numbers, like six and a half yards per carry numbers against them on every other type of running play. Um, and, uh, uh, let's see if I can find it. I'm almost there. Um, uh, yeah, here they, they defended literally every other kind of running play at only a 35% success rate, which is terrible and surrendering 6.0 adjusted yards per carry, which is terrible. Like, and the reason is they overrun the play. So if you can get them moving laterally and then cut back, or if you can wash down the line or just run outside, you know, any kind of outside run wide zone sweeps, hell run power against them because then you can pin them, uh, anything, literally any other type of run, hell split flow. Uh, it doesn't matter any other type of run, uh, and you can run against them very successfully. Um, and so it was like, it was nuts watching big 12 teams just completely fail to do film study. <laughs> it's like, guys, maybe they should hire you. I, you know, Hey, uh, my rates are reasonable. Uh, anyway, so, uh, but I mean, and then the past defense, the past defense is difficult because their cornerbacks, their cornerbacks had me completely buffaloed, dude, because every time, I mean, literally every time I thought I had them pegged, they would make a spectacular play. And I mean, in both directions, like every time I thought these cornerbacks suck, they would make a spectacular breakup. And I'm like, oh, shoot, that dude is awesome. And then I'd be like, oh, man, this guy really rocks. And then I would watch him get burnt to a crisp just <laughs> completely destroyed and i was like oh dude this guy sucks and then i just like 
I was like a, a, a record player playing Alvin and the Chipmunks. I was spinning so much on these guys. Like it was like bonkers. I could not make up my mind about Williams and Dunlap, whether they were good or bad cornerbacks. Like, and ultimately I think probably the answer is that both things are true. Like they're tall cornerbacks. They're fairly athletic. If they're, you know, bigger than you are, they can get good pass breakups. Um, but you can burn them, you know, and that they tend to, you know, they will both get past breakups and they will get burnt. And the reason that I know that's true is that I watched them get past past breakups and I watched them get burnt. Yeah. So I, I guess what I would expect to see against Oregon is that they will probably get some pass breakups and they will probably get burnt. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, yeah. So the, the question is, here's the thing which I guess I did settle in on an answer on them at long last. Uh, thanks Adam. Um, the, the question that's sort of kind of really baffling, like I said, they, they lost, they, they lost an edge rusher, Tyree Wilson to the NFL. They kind of lost another edge rusher. Um, uh, his name's Pierre, uh, who is on the other side, who's their starter because they moved him back to be an inside linebacker, which I think is a mistake because he was a good edge rusher and bad in coverage. And so now they're asking him to be in coverage all the time, which is like, dumb anyway uh so then now they have two uh, new edge rushers um one of them is a former defensive tackle although he's built more like an edge so i guess that move made sense and the other one is a transfer from syracuse the transfer from syracuse his name is steve linton every article that i read about him in the local paper the the lubbock avalanche journal um it was like his arrival was heralded with the sounding of trumpets it was like the 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 movie aladdin where like where he wishes to be a prince and like they have the whole parade and elephants and dance girls and like every is like there were like 12 articles about steve linton showing up man like thank god for steve linton. it was crazy how many articles about steve like the decks have been cleared for steve linton and i'm like okay dude this guy had like two sacks in syracuse like well, i don't understand this so then we we'll watch him play against wyoming he spent the entire game on the ground like every time he tried to get around the left tackle the left tackle just shoved him to the ground i was like yeah, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? So anyway, it to me, I guess they were so hyped up about this dude that I'm not willing to completely write the dude off after one game yet. Um, but like, that's all the film I have on him. Uh, so like, we'll see. Y you know, they were so stoked about Linton and Cole. And they were so unproductive um, that I that it goes into the question mark bucket for me. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not willing to to 100 percent believe them. I'm not willing to 100 percent believe, you know, one game's worth of film, you know, because what I'm trying to say is that I can't go by on the, the by the 2022 film because I don't have 2022 film. Um, you know, all, all I have is the Wyoming film. So like, uh, I, that's what, you know, what I'm curious about. Oregon's got new tackles, right? You know, Connor Lee and Cornelius. Let's see how Connor Lee and Cornelius do against Cole and Linton. Um, that that's going to be a question mark for me. If Connor Lee and Cornelius hold up against those guys pretty well, um, and Bo Nix has, you know, plenty of time to throw, uh, Oregon ought to shred this pass defense. I mean, just absolutely shred them. Um, if on the other hand, Bo Nix has to do a lot of scrambling, um, you know, he, he'll probably scramble. Okay. He's a good scrambler. Um, and, and, um, and, and Texas tech tends to be over aggressive and they have a shut the back door problem, which actually I, I documented in my article, um, and was present all throughout 2022, but like scrambling is less effective than hitting bombs. Um, 
So like, yeah, I want to see how their pass rush does. And I want to see how Oregon's new tackles do. But again, just like I was saying about the defense, like this should be a good test. I want to see how this test goes. You know, Oregon's got... Oregon's got new new offensive tackles that Oregon is excited about. Texas Tech has new edge rushers that they're excited about. Let's see how that goes. Let's see. All right. I think that'll do it for this week. Uh, let's wrap it up there. You got any parting words of wisdom for us, Adam? Um, enjoy the game, people. Uh, should be a fun one. And um, this, like like you just said, it'll be more of a uh, a, a realistic kind of look at you know how Oregon's going to perform against uh, you know, higher tier competition. Yeah, I'm looking forward to next week's uh, opinion article in which you write. Uh, it was just Texas Tech over and over again, right? Is that how you're <laughs> going to stir the pot? I'll try. I'll try. I may not use a whisk, but I'll I'll, I'll get it done. Uh, it'll be a hot one uh, in Texas Tech, uh, in, in Lubbock. Uh, I think it's a, a 6 p.m. Central kickoff. Um, the sun will be setting. Uh, they're calling for nice weather, but it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>